I got something this morning. I got something, and I don't got something. Um, what I have here is bells, if you can't tell. And uh, there'll be some in the back. We'll see how it goes. People, you know, as AJ and Tammy were saying last week, you know, um, we know that it's at times we can't control the length if the spirit's moving. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, all right. But you have the ability without any shame, without any guilt or condemnation or anything coming against you, if you need to leave, to get up and go. You have permission to go when you feel you need to go. And, um, and that's fine. If you've got to get kids, if you've got to go to lunch, if you've got things you've got to do and uh, you have plans, that's, that's, just, that's just fine. That didn't spread out so well. One not, come on, get out of there. Um, so, we've been going through, since the end of the old year and the beginning of the new year, our vision, mission, and values series. And um, I don't know about you, but to, to me it's been really exciting and it's been really impactful. And it's, I think it's, um, it's really the sense of unity. Anybody else feeling that? Yeah. Developing in the fellowship, the sense of unity? Amen. The sense of, it's like, it, you know, when we cast the vision at the end of the last, uh, it was the very last Sunday of uh, 2023, um, you know, one of the verses was straight out of Proverbs, right? Where there's lack of vision, the people cast off restraint. So where there is vision, people can come together with a commonality, common goal. And so, you know, we're supposed to, as, as a church body, have a vision by which we are working together to impact the region for the kingdom of God. Amen. And so, um, so we started off by casting that. And I'm telling you, man, since that's been cast, I, it's been tremendous hearing from many of you regarding... Uh, just testifying to the sense of unity that's been developing and really happening in this fellowship. And um, we've been loving it. Um, and then we talked about our mission, which is to set a table. To set a table for fellowship and discipleship where it's, it's around the presence of Jesus Christ. To set a table in which we are we are coming together in community. We're coming together as, as one family. We're coming together to, to, um, to encourage one another, to learn together, to disciple one another, recognizing that at the center of that fellowship is the bread and the blood of Jesus Christ. He is our common denominator. He is the thing that unites us more than anything else. He's the thing that makes us one body. He's the, he's the one who makes one church, one bride, one temple. It's all Jesus. That's who he is. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and it's been really, really great as we've been talking about that. We started the first Sunday family feast. We have the second one coming up the first Sunday in March, which is next Sunday. Sunday. Um, which, by the way, just so you all know, Kara's downstairs with the kids. It's her birthday next Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So harass her pretty good, all right? Or you can pretend like you didn't remember. That's what I like to do. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh. Okay. All right. So, uh... <laughs> Julie's trying to get me in trouble up here, is what she's really trying to do. She's, she's coming up here. She was supposed to do this during worship, and now it's falling on me. And so, happy birthday to Stacy Neal. Happy birthday, Stacy. Come on. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Stacy. Happy birthday to you. It's really funny when we were on, 
when we were in Kona, when we started to go to, uh, to YWAM to get trained up to become missionaries, uh, we were in the school, it was called the Crossroads DTS, and it's for anybody who's 25 years or older, so it can be young professionals, it can be young ministers, it can be whole families, that, but you feel like you've come to a crossroad in your life and you feel like God might be directing you into the mission field. So we went to Kona to go to this school, and there were, I think, four or five Norwegian families from Norway that were there going through the school with us. And uh, we quickly learned that their birthday song in Norway is incredible. It's incredible. It's so fun. They're just bowing and they're spinning and there's like choreography that goes with the movements of the dance. We're like, It's a beautiful song. So we started to, every time somebody in the school had a birthday, we're like, come on, the Norwegians, you got to do the birthday song. Well, needless to say, it got really old really fast. They were like, oh. So I promised, I promised them. I said, the next time somebody's birthday, I will learn the song so that I can lead it. And they were like, okay. And, uh, and so I, I learned the song, unfortunately. My memory isn't what it used to be. I, yeah, I sing, I'll sing it Sunday. Yeah. For, for Kira. That, that one's reserved specifically for Kira. <laughs> anyway, so, oh, goodness. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We got a message from lovely Sarah Heller this week, in the middle of the week, and she was spending time with the Lord, and she shot a message to Kira and I, and she's just like, I just feel like the message this week is joy. It's joy. Hallelujah. And I'm like, I don't think it's any better week than when we're talking about one gospel. To be that in which we declare the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord. And it comes from that one gospel. It comes from knowing who he is. It comes from, from recognizing what he's done and from, from letting that impact your life in such a way that it changes everything. And as Julie was saying, you start to learn that even in those trials, even in those things where maybe he's doing some pruning, it's utter joy. Because there's, there's no better life than a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. So we're talking about one gospel this morning. So far in our values, we've talked about one king, one house, one truth, one spirit, and one family. You guys getting the theme? There's one. Unity. Coming together around the bread and the blood of Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Creates us into one church. That's next week. <laughs> Today, though, we're talking about one gospel. And the, uh, the value with one gospel is this. To live humbly walking in continual compassion, forgiveness, repentance, and service to one another through the example by Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. Okay, it's up there. Good. To live humbly, walking in continual compassion, forgiveness, repentance, and service to one another through the example set by Jesus Christ. And we've coupled with, uh, with each one of these, you know, we have the, the very core of it, one gospel, and then we have the value behind it, which is what we're reading, but we've coupled with all of them uh, a verse as well, a scripture or a text to kind of coincide with those uh, values. And the, this morning's value, it's Romans 12, 9, 18 to 21. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your opinion. Hmm. Ouch. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now there's one additional verse at the end of this passage I'm thinking of, of tagging on, which is verse 21, and it's just sort of the declarative verse of this passage that says, Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So I think that really needs to be included in that particular passage regarding the gospel. And many of you are probably like, well, I'm not seeing necessarily how this has to do with the gospel. You might not be. You might be looking at it going, oh, I thought the gospel was about Jesus. I thought the gospel, some people might only really know the gospel as the gospels, the four books about Jesus' life and the eyewitness accounts of who he is, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the text. And so you might be looking at this going, this just seems to be really all about how we're supposed to act towards one another. This is like exhortations, you know, that builds up the church, but it's really about how are we supposed to act towards each other and how are we supposed to act towards people outside of the church. And you're right. This is really just about how we're supposed to act towards one another and how we're supposed to treat one another. But it's only possible to truly act this way toward anyone unless you've been affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's where it finds its root. The gospel is directly... Here's the thing. I could literally pick almost any passage out of Scripture and tie it to the gospel because the gospel is the beginning and the end. The whole book is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we look at those four books and we're like, this is his life. And we look at that and we're like, That's, those are the gospel. It's, it's restricted to these four books in the matter of these three years, from the year he was 30 to 33, except for a little time when he was 12. But we don't talk about that. <laughs> but when he was 30 to 33, you know, he did things and he moved and, and the church was born. You know, and we look at that and think, that's the gospel. But it's not, that's not the case. The gospel is not just a thing that happened 2,000 so years ago. It's not at all. So when we're saying one of our core values is one gospel, we're not just talking about something that occurred. We're talking about the transformation that is occurring. The salvation of all things. The salvation of all things. Guys, creation is being saved by him. It's being saved by him. He already took the authority back. When he died and went into the grave, he grabbed the keys. He grabbed the authority back. The prince of the air, we have this wrong doctrine where we think the prince of the air still has authority. He doesn't. He doesn't. Jesus has the authority, and all authority given to him has been given to you, the church, in order that you might live rightly. But to live rightly... We have to spend time with Jesus. The gospel, most of us refer to it as the good news. But I would say in our postmodern English, we need to start calling it the most amazing, awesome news we've ever heard in our lives. And we have to let it be something that bubbles us up to overflowing, and we're not ashamed of it. But that we walk in the authority that God has given, Jesus Christ has given us. Let's do it. Come on, Phil. I love it. <laughs> but here's the catch. It can't be, I can't, I can't speak with enough enthusiasm. 
I can't jump around enough and tell you Jesus can save and change your life and break you free. I can't do enough kicks or stretches. I can't. And make you believe it. Because it's not by men, it's by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that you come to know who Jesus Christ is. So I can sing and dance. I can do a lot of ridiculous things to try to emphatically get you to understand how much he loves you and how good it is to be loved by him. How good it is. To... See, this is you started this last week, Tammy. She started trying to sing songs last week. You're getting all sing-songy up here. That spirit is still remaining. Sing songy spirit on the stage. How good it is to be loved by Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And so, the revealing of the Holy Spirit, he reveals to us, to our hearts, and we have to be able to then recognize we have a spiritual side to ourselves. We have a spirit that has ears, and we have a spirit that has eyes. When, G when Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples, he's like, let those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. He's not talking about this or this. He's talking about those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen. He's speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit right to the spirit inside of them. And it made people drop their entire lives and follow him. And I'm telling you this, I mean, Paul says this to the church in Galatia, in, uh, Galatia the Galatian church. Uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Don't, if you get it in there, Mark, great, thank you. Uh, Galatians 1, 11 through 12. But I didn't get him a lot of these scriptures this morning. I, I didn't know what, I honestly, it was like this morning I woke up and I, it was at 2 in the morning and God just started changing things, so... So uh, you don't have a lot of things that I might be talking about. <laughs> uh, Galatians 1, 11 through 12 says, for I, know you, or for I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it. But it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Most of us, if we've, if we've read our Bibles or been around the church long enough, we've heard of the Saul to Paul conversion. We've heard of Saul who used to persecute and kill Christians, who used to, to, to his main purpose and function within the, the, the um, Sanhedrin, he was one of the priests of priests, right? He was one of the Pharisees of Pharisees. He was like top notch. You know, and very young for his age, so he was held in very high esteem for his intellect and his understanding of the scriptures. This man was like going after what he believed to be a cult. And on his way to Damascus to go arrest more of the Christians there, what happens? A blinding light knocks him on his butt and blinds his eyes. And he hears a Lord saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, Lord, who are you? And he's like, I'm Jesus Christ. Why are you persecuting my church? And at that moment, see, this was not by any man's doing. This was not by anybody preaching to him or teaching him. This was just Jesus saying, this man is going to be made new. And he, he encountered him in such a way that what did he become? But Paul, one of the greatest apostles, one of the greatest church builders, and church planters to ever live because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. One of my favorite things he ever said was, I don't come to you with, with words of intellect or knowledge. I come to you only simply knowing Christ and him crucified. Because he had tried and failed to use the words and knowledge aspect of things. He went to Athens and tried to convince them by way of intellect to believe in Jesus. He tried to use words. He tried to be persuasive. And they're like, yeah, that's all well and good, but we'll stick with our gods. So then when he goes to, I believe it's Corinth, he says, I'll, I, or maybe Thessalonica. I can't remember. Rich, 
You got me on this one? No, you're like, one or the other. Um, he says, I, 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 I honestly, I know nothing but Christ and him crucified. I can't persuade you. All I can tell you is the truth. Same thing happened from who we know to be Simon, the disciple. When he was following Jesus and had been following Jesus for some time in Matthew 16, 17 through 18, God starts asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they all start saying, well, some think you're John the Baptist, some think that you are uh, Elijah the prophet, some think this, some think that. He's like, then who do you say that I am? And Peter boldly speaks up, the first one to say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what happens next is a, um, another wonderful, so Saul gets turned to Paul because of his testimony. Simon, in this moment, gets turned to Peter. Jesus responds to him and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Right? Again, I can't tell you to believe in Jesus Christ. But Jesus can. And he says, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, and now you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gospel, an encounter, it doesn't have to change your name, but an encounter with the true power and might of the gospel should change your life. It should. So when I was, when I was in um, New York City, I, back in, when I, we first got here, Karen and I both took a, a moment to just kind of share our story and just talk story with you guys and t share testimony. And I kind of led up to the point where I was, I think I ended at the point where I was handcuffed and <laughs> left you on the cl cliffhanger. I was handcuffed behind my apartment because I'd been throwing a party and uh, a bunch of underage drinkers were there, and the cops came three times in one night to try to, you know, get me to shut it down. They were being very gracious, and I continued to go because I was drunk, and I, I, I was like, you know, keep it going, like an ignorant, dumb, naive college student, <laughs> and um, and and you know, in that moment, I recognized kind of where my life had spiraled out of control to. And I recognized that what I had grown up being taught, what I had been, you know, throughout my life, I grew up in the church, I had been taught about Jesus. I thought I knew Jesus. But at the same time, my faith was so feeble that when a youth pastor offended me, I threw it all away. Because I, I, I hadn't, if I'm going to be honest, I hadn't had the revelation. I hadn't had the revelation. I knew a lot about it, and I knew in that moment the gospel enough, the facts of the gospel enough to know that all I can do in this moment is pray to God. And I prayed, and I said, Jesus, if you can give, get me out of this, like, I mean, I'm yours, right? It was one of those desperate, in the trenches, between a rock and a hard place prayers, and I was just like, help me, Lord. And he simply said, tell him the truth. And I was like, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and like, I was like, are you sure you don't want me to be somewhat deceitful in this? He's like, no, I, de I deal in truth. <laughs> I deal in truth. And I was like, ah, that's horrible. And, but it was not horrible because I just looked at the cop and in all humility I said, I have no reason you shouldn't take me to jail tonight. I've been an idiot. I've been an idiot. <laughs> and I deserve to go to jail tonight. And the cop looked at me and said, if you had given me any other response other than the fact that you know how dumb you were, I'd be taking you down to downtown right now. You'd be in the back of the squad car and we'd be out of here. But because that was your answer, I'm going to let you off with a very hefty noise violation. <laughs> I was like, I'm a college student. I can't pay for this. Lord, help. Um, but so that was the beginning of, that was the beginning of something where 
where God revealed to me something that I, was, I hadn't yet to experience. But it was a revelation in the moment that, that, that determined, I need to change. I can't just know him and know of him and even claim him to be my Lord and Savior and not be transformed by him and follow him with all that I am, with all that I have, right? All of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength is to be given to the Lord. And, it's, and, and so that began this process by which I was, I, I, you know, it was kind of like one thing after another. So I stopped throwing parties. After uh, a, a period of time, I stopped with just the promiscuous life I was living. You know, I was just in relationships and I was just thinking, whatever, you know, I've already had sex, so you might as well keep going, right? Like it, that, that thought, it, it's a, a horrible corruption, especially in the church. Can I just take a moment and say this? Can I get really, really real? It's not okay to be sexually promiscuous. It's not, I don't, some people are like, well, I was married before and now I'm not married. And, but, you know, so I'm trying to just, you know, wade things out. It's like, no. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And the right way is depicted in scripture. So if you're curious what it is, seek the Lord. Because sexual immorality is a pretty serious thing. And now I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about, you know, uh, any type of sexual sin. Men, pornography is adultery. Women, I shouldn't just exclude women. The statistics are staggering these days as to how sexual uh, sin has entered in. And I'm just going off, but I'm just saying, like, we need to be changed by the gospel, and it has to come at a price. It has to come at a cost. This is what Julie was saying. We love, love, love John 3.16. We love it. People share it and share it and share it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that has become our token go-to evangelistic scripture. It is the most popular, you can look it up, most popular scripture in the world. But look at the world. And, and, and what I do, I, I really appreciate is that more and more people have been adding John 3.17. It's, guys, if you're sharing and you start to go for the for God so loved the world part, do not leave out 17. For Jesus has come into the world to say, to not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There is a thing that I emphasized back up here at the top with our value when I was talking about us living humbly, walking in continual compassion, forgiveness, repentance, and service to one another through the example set by Jesus Christ. And when you look, um, where is it? Where is it? I'm losing myself in my notes here. Hmm. Yeah, and, and Jesus did not come to the world, but to save the world through him. It means that we're to walk each and every day as through a passageway. So when we present the gospel as, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, we're presenting a gospel that is very positive, and it is very positive, right? It's the good news. But we're also presenting one that seems like all you need to do is step through this gate in heaven. But that's not the truth. The truth of the gospel is... Is, is, is it's a passageway. What did Jesus do? If we're looking at Jesus and we're saying Jesus is the gospel, he's the good news set before us, he walked on this earth. And he walked on it in, in a loving way. He walked on it in a caring way. He walked on it in a sacrificial way. And he ends up being what? Crucified. And then he ends up doing what? Spending three days in the tomb. And then he is... He, he comes back and he visits. And then he ascends. And now he's seated in victory at the right hand of the Father. So that's the gospel, the gospel message. But too many of us are like, we're just going to walk around the, the, the through 
aspect of our relationship with Jesus, and we're just going to say, I prayed the prayer, and I've said, I believe. So now, heaven, right? But Jesus is saying, no, walk. You've got to, like, it's, it is also a walking through. And, and one of the worst parts that we really have a hard time with, because we're like, this is supposed to be good news. But I'm supposed to spend three days in the tomb? When was the last time any of us sat on that? Spent three days meditating on Jesus' death. Spent three days recognizing the cost of his life. And read, and, and, and read the harder passages. Whosoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And then one of my favorites, and this is, this is the testament of the Saul to Paul conversion, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And you know, he probably would have said, and I live in Christ, except he knew Christ lived in the Father. So by, living in, by Christ living in him, he was like, it's, I'm in. I'm in the Father. The Father is over me. Christ is in me. Outside, like, surrounded by the presence of the Lord. The life I now live is in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When I, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> when uh, it is, Jesus, thank you. Um, so a few years later, after I, you know, got out of the, the being arrested and started to recognize my life actually needed to be changed and impacted by the gospel, um, I, I ended up, you know, moving to New York City after I got out of college, and I was you know, auditioning and doing the performer thing, and I was chasing my dreams, I was chasing my success uh, according to the world's standards, and, and I was doing it. I was actually doing a really good job of building the resume, uh, making the right connections, you know, traveling around, um, and, you know, I felt like it's only a matter of time, Lord, before I'm on Broadway, you know, before I get that big contract and I'm up there, and, uh, and, and then once you get a Broadway contract, it's kind of known in the industry, like, you're locked in. And uh, you can kind of hop oftentimes from show to show to show. Um, all you need is that one credit on your resume. Uh, and so I was like, that was the aspiration at that point in time. But, what I, but behind the scenes, like uh, underneath, was this current of discontent, this current of hopelessness, this current of sadness, this current of desperation. I was not actually happy with the way my life was going. And I had, yeah, praise God, and I was, I was, I was, I had a best friend who made it to Broadway and then became an alcoholic because what he believed it was going to be, it ended up not being, right? We set our hopes on earthly aspirations, and then when we attained them, we're like, now what? They're temporal. They only last so long, and then they die. And so, so I realized, I was like, this is, this is, Whew, this is not for me. And in the midst of that, I had started going back to church. There's a great community in New York that I, um, of all places, there's a really amazing, there are amazing churches in New York City. Um, and so I was like, I, I went to this church, and it was incredible. And then God met me on a subway train. The Spirit of God dropped on me on a subway train. And I was like weeping. Because I was like having this moment of prayer and encounter with the Lord where I was like, God, is this what you want me to do with my life? Because I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I'm, I'm feeling really low. And uh, the Spirit was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, but really? Like this is what I've spent thousands of dollars learning to do. This is what I've spent years of my life learning to perfect. I've been chasing this dream for a long time. Like, this, is, this isn't what you want me to do. He's like, you never asked me before. 
He was just like, this is what you were doing your thing, you know. But the spirit was moving. The spirit was moving underneath because ever since that moment of revelation, I knew there was just things that were off. So this was the conviction. This was the working of the spirit, the pruning of the spirit, bringing me to a point of utter discontent where I was like, all I want is you. And I, I prayed a prayer that day on that train that would change my life forever. And that was it. All I want is you. And he said, I, I said, what do you want me to do next, Lord? And I felt him say, leave the city. I'm like, still trying to hold on to this dream, right? I'm like, but, the, but everything you, I trained for is here. And he's like, leave the city. And I called, I remember talking to my mom. I remember talking to people and they're like, are you sure you want to leave? This is everything you've trained for. This is everything you've been aspiring for, right? You know, they didn't mean, nobody meant ill, but everybody was just like, you don't want to regret, right? So many people are concerned that you're going to make a decision and live in regret. God can, God can deal with that. When you give your life to the Lord, there are no regrets. I'm telling you, all there is is redemption. What you do wrong, he redeems. You mess up. You say sorry, truly repent, he redeems. And so, so regret is, you know, that shouldn't be a word in my opinion. That should not be a word in the Christian dictionary. So if you're like, I do live in regret. Like, let's talk and let's pray and let's work through this. Because God has made you and has you in his sovereign grace right where he needs you for such a time as this. And you're like, but I could have done great things. But you're here. And so you need to reconcile your hopes and your ambitions, right? Go back up. Let's see. The verse says, what does it say? Um, Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. It's not saying don't have ambitions. It's just saying, like, I would, I would suggest talk to God first. See what God would have your high ambitions be. I was, got to, I was blessed to talk, I, okay, I'm good. I was blessed to talk at CCA um, at a chapel back in November, uh, Chautauqua Christian Academy. And that was the big thing I kind of brought to the kids was like, hey, listen, the world wants to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I got that question all the time. I ask how many, I'm like, how many of you have been asked that question? What do you want to be when you grow up? And all of them are like this, you know? And, uh, you know, and, and I said, to them, I said, I used to get that question all the time, and that's why I had the in inclination in my heart that I'm supposed to choose, that I'm supposed to pick what it is I want to be when I grow up. But I wish somebody would have said, what does God want you to be? I, what do, I wish somebody would have said, what do you sense the Holy Spirit is telling you you're supposed to be when you grow up? What are, you, like, are you talking to God and getting your direction from him, or are you just aspiring to be something on your own? And the devil wants to deceive us in order that we leave God out of the equation of the trajectory of our lives. He wants you to be, he wants you to join right into the flow of culture that's saying, go do this, go do that, be a fireman, be a police officer, right, a little boy, be an astronaut. Like, you know, they, they, they build you up, you can be anything you want to be, but what does God want you to be? Because that will be the most amazing life you will ever have. That's it. And we, 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 we mess things up when we, when we usurp God's authority with our own. So let me see if I can get back to where I was. Good. Praise the Lord because, yeah. <laughs> the gospel... I'll just say it because it's true. It has the power to save. If you're feeling lost, if you're feeling adrift, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling like maybe, maybe there's somebody in here who's even been pondering uh, worst case scenario, suicide. The gospel has the power to save. And you need to hear that today. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone's everyone. 
It's up to you. What do you choose to believe today? What truth are you going to align your life with? What, 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 what are you going to say, God, I'm okay with you pruning this away from me because in this I'm finding hopelessness. In this pursuit I'm lost because this, I, I'm recognizing, feeling convicted that this is just my pursuit. This is just me going, going about doing my business, building my kingdom here on earth. And that's all going to waste away. I just need to pray really quick. Father God, I pray right now, if anybody is in this house that is struggling with the spirit of suicide and death upon them, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. I condemn it in the name of Jesus Christ. Cast it off of those individuals as far as the east is from the west, never to be heard or seen from again. Lord, and that you instill in them the Holy Spirit uh, of hope, of joy, of love, of courage, Father God, to, to, to change, courage to step into alignment with the Spirit of God and walk in faith, not by sight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So our belief in something is only as good as our action that follows it. Let me say that again. Our belief in something is only as good as the action that follows it. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by a guy named Dallas Willard. And he says, we do not believe something when we say it's true. We don't even believe something when we believe it's true. We believe something when we act as if it were true. So for you to have a revelation, it will change everything. But for you to only simply agree often changes nothing. Do you understand? So you need to say, God, open. if you're like, I, I think right now at this stage of my, my relationship with Jesus, because this is what my whole childhood up to the point of getting handcuffed was, was me agreeing with all of the good, all of the facts, all of the, all of the truth, all of the things that the people had been teaching me. I agreed with it, but I didn't believe it. And so I got up to that point where my, my just agreeing with it, just saying, uh-huh. Like I said, you don't believe it when you say it. You don't believe it when you believe it. You believe it when you act as if it's true. So it should have a transformational power on you. And so I just want to say right now that if you are like, if you're in that place of I only, I, I feel like I'm only agreeing with the truth and I'm not believing the truth. I just want to pray, God, I ask that you open the spiritual eyes and ears of that individual so that they might actually have a revelation of the truth of Jesus Christ and that it becomes a belief that transforms them into your likeness and your image. Thank you, Jesus Christ. And then when we begin to act in that new way, when we begin to act in that transformative way, trust gets built. Faith gets built. Transformation, it, 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 it results in greater levels of trust, greater levels of faith. And so that, I say that to say none of us are ever done. <laughs> Sorry if you thought you were. Sorry if you're sitting there going, oh, I've been walking with the Lord for 50 years and I'm, I'm all right. I think I got this figured out. Right, Jason? I see you back there. Oh, I've been walking with... <laughs> He's like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you're not done. Nobody is, is beyond the transformation of that which is going on into eternity. So the gospel is leading you forward. The passageway and the narrow road is what you are on. And, and, and if we keep our eyes on the Lord, these other things that are, are still not of the Lord will fall away will fall away, will fall away. Prune, 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 prune. Fruit will start to produce. And people will say, man, that fruit is awesome. Follow, follow, what do you, what do you, you know, imitate me as I imitate. So follow. If you're seeing something being produced, like, let's do this. Let's walk together. Let's follow. The Lord wants to change things. And if we're all, all of us, 
I'm not leaving anybody out. All of us receiving our revelation from the Holy Spirit. If we're all believing in the same word of God and our actions are being given to us by the same instructor, the Holy Spirit, and we're focusing on walking according to the same Spirit and the same Scriptures, and we're not just picking and choosing what we want to follow, and we follow Jesus on the path of righteousness, the result is going to be a truly united body. Yeah, let it be so. A truly united church. A truly, when we're, we're using all these one words because we want people to come to the understanding there is only one way, there is only one truth, there is only one life, that no one can come to the Father except through the Son. There's only one gospel. And I can't, again, emphasize it enough. trying to uh, hear. I'm trying to hear the Lord regarding, oh, where to go next. So, so I left New York City, all right? And I'm like, okay, God, I'm do whatever you want. I want to do it. This is what I want to do. It's just like, I'm all in. And I felt God, for the first thing was relationships, man. <laughs> you can't keep living the way you're living in regards to relationships. And I said, all right, Lord, then I'm, I'm celibate and I'm single until further notice. I'm like, let's do this, you know. Uh, and, and so that was the first thing. And I was just reading my word. And I came back. I came back to Warren, Pennsylvania, living with my parents. I was about 27 years old, 28 years old. I was... Only a year prior in Paris, France, performing in front of 5,000 people, touring the world with West Side Story the musical. I don't say that to be proud. I say that to say that I was absolutely the most joyful I've ever been working part-time at the Library Theater after doing all that, cleaning toilets. I was a custodian part-time. And I was so thrilled because I had only a part-time job and I had my beat-up little Ford Ranger that my Uncle Tom was able to get, to me, get for me at an auction for real cheap. And uh, it was cheap. You know, the transmission was bad. But it got me out to the, the Allegheny National Forest where I would go and I'd sit at Elijah Rock with my Bible. And I would just sit there eating. Eating the bread of life. I was like, this is so much better than whatever I would have done in New York City. And I remember just sitting there, and I just was like, God, this is my place. <laughs> this is it, man, you and me, bros forever. <laughs> Jesus. And I, I just remember being so, like, he filled me up so much. I'm like, I, I still had things that were holding, kind of hanging on. I would still, I wasn't drinking like I was drinking in college, but I still had drinks, you know, and I, I, we won't even get into that because that's a sticky subject. That's a, that's a message for a different day. But, um, but I, and I was still like, I just, I, you know, I was, I was still struggling with pornography at the time. Like I was still struggling with that. I had things that what I was still dealing with, but God was like, let's clean this up first. And then, you know, and then he starts walking me through this process of pruning. He's just like, okay, this is dead. This is producing nothing on your, in your life. And this and this. And so I'm like, I'm, I, I'm just in this season and two-ish, two and a half years or so goes by. And I'm just like so enamored and more and more things are getting stripped away from me that were just dead and was not good and benefiting me in any way shape or form and then I'm like I get this message from uh, the one of the directors of the musicals at the Charmin Theater at JCC he's like hey I hear you're in the area and you know you're a dancer and I'm looking for somebody to do choreography for a show up here you know would you be willing to come on up and uh, and I'll pay you and you know 
do the choreography for our fall musical. I hadn't gotten to be creative in that way in a long time, and I still wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I was just like, oh, this will be fun. You know, and I, I prayed about it and felt like God's like, go ahead. And so I get up there to the Charmin. Again, I'm like, at this point, completely content if it's just me and God for the rest of my life. I'd come to that absolute point of just enjoyment with my relationship with the Lord and how it was growing. But I walk into that theater, and uh, lo and behold, there's this beautiful chorus girl. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Fortunately, I prayed first before I went, right? You know, because it turned out to be Kira. And she was, she was in this show, and, and, uh, and I was like, I'm not interested. Not interested. No. Get away. But we talked, we hung out, and I just, I'm like, this will scare her off. I was like, I am about Jesus Christ. I'm all about the Lord. That's all I want to do is grow in my relationship with the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. I'm like, she's never going to go for me. She'll never be interested. And she's like, I actually really want to be with the Lord. She's like, I grew up in a Christian home, and I've strayed away, and I'm dealing with all this stuff. But I, this is what I want. I want a man who loves the Lord. And so then we started dating. That was sloppy. She was dating somebody at the time. So it was a little... But it's all good. We, we've reconciled all of that. <laughs> like literally, like her ex and I are actually friends. So the... Um, but uh, we... So then we go and we um, start dating. And it's not long at all before I'm like, this woman wants God. I want God, I want this woman, and I want us to want God together, will you marry me? You know, like it was just like this very natural process, and it wasn't, it didn't feel like an effort, it was, there was no fear in it, there was no, you know, um, I mean, obviously there's a tax, the enemy's trying to break it up before it even begins, right? He's like, uh-oh, this isn't good, I don't want these two together, and he's like, no, and I was just like, nope, we're, this is happening, so we get together, and, uh, and then I'm getting into kind of part of what Kira shared as part of her testimony. And you come into a relationship and you've got stuff. Like, you know, like I was still trying to see things pruned off of me. Same thing with her. You know, and she was 10 years younger than me. So there was a lot still. And she had some serious deep woundings with an ex-boyfriend when she was younger that made her feel just a total need for affirmation. She's like, it, it wounded her deep. And so she was going out drinking, and next thing it turns into having affairs. And, then, and, and so that was just in our first year of marriage. I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, but, she, but she, again, by way of, she, like, she kind of in the first instance sort of got caught in it. So she confessed some of it. And I was like, we're going to work through this. We'll make, it, we'll, we'll make it through. God's with us. A little bit further along, and she is weeping. Because I, I, like when, the, when it kind of came out at the, the initial, and it wasn't the whole truth, it was only part of the truth, I was like, hey, listen, I said, you know, I love you, and I, I, I want you to feel like I'm requiring things of you, but I'm going to start to require some things. Like church had become optional. She wasn't going consistently. I said, I need you to be with me every Sunday. I said, the word of God, I you know, I was getting up and reading my word, and she wasn't as adamant about it. So I said, please be in your word every day. I said, the drinking has to stop. And so we both, because I was like, and then I said, you're going to also have to probably quit your job because it was related to her job. That was a big sacrifice, right? But she said yes to all of it. She's like, I don't care how scary it seems. I don't care how difficult. She's like, yes, because I don't want, like, I want you and I want God and I want us to move forward. And so she quit, and she cut away, and she allowed God to do this work in her. And it was only a matter of a couple months. And I'm leaving for work, and she's spending time with the Lord on the couch. She's reading her word, and she's like, uh, I could tell something was really, like, going on inside of her. She was struggling inside, and I was just like, I'll leave you alone with the Lord for that, and I'm going to go to work. <laughs> and so, like, sorry, sweetie, 
within a matter of a few minutes, she calls me up and says, hey, I need you to come back. And I was like, okay. So I get up, you know, come up the elevator. We were living in an apartment up in Jamestown at the time. And I, I come in, and she is just weeping on the couch. She's like, I had an encounter with the Spirit of God today. And the Spirit told me that if I tell you everything that I did, that he's going to bless us abundantly for the rest of our lives. And she said, I'm standing on that promise right now because I'm scared to death to tell you that I did this, and I did this, and I did this. She said, I know you have every right to leave me by the scriptures. She's like, so I just needed to be free. And in that moment, the gospel of God upon my life, the amount of grace he's poured out on me for my past mistakes and my past choices, the amount of times he's shown me mercy made it impossible for me to look at her right there in that moment and just say, I need time, but we're not over. This is the, like, praise the Lord that you did this. Sure, I need time, but nothing, nothing can come against Jesus Christ. Nothing. No weapon formed against you will prevail if you actually surrender yourself into his will. I'm not going to promise you that there isn't going to be a consequence for your confession or your, or your prof repentance or whatever decision you have to make. I can't say that because it's actually on the other side of that whatever that whatever the consequence might be that, that you're going to be able to stand up on the rock of your salvation and that you're going to be able to say Jesus saw me through. Jesus saw me through this. He was with me in the fire. We all love that song, right? There's another in the fire standing next to me. Jesus, he's right with you right now. He's with you. Whatever your fire is, whatever that is that's in your way, he's with you. And he will never leave you or forsake you. And so I just know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. That each and every one of you have, a, have had the gospel impact your life in some way, shape, or form. That each and every one of you have had, have, have had you know, again, even if you're at that point of agreement, even when I was just agreeing with it, it was impacting my life. I just didn't see it. I didn't know it. I didn't understand it until I actually was like, oh my goodness. He loves me. And in his, in his truth is the way. Do you understand? Like in his truth is the way. Through him. Through him. Through him. Into any situation beyond any circumstance. He is it. And you all have had a moment even if it's just this morning, I believe it wholeheartedly. You've had a moment with the gospel today. And I just want to say that there was a time in the Old Testament of Exodus, the book of Exodus of the Old Testament, chapter 28, I believe, that Aaron was told he had to wear a particular priestly garment. And this priestly garment had, you know, beautiful linen woven fabric blue and white and purples and there was pomegranates these little you know they tied it with a knot there was pomegranates all around the hem of this garment and then there was another thing that was on that garment that just really sticks out to you and that was bells between every pomegranate all around the hem of the garment there were bells gold bells placed and it says that he was supposed to wear this garment anytime he enters.
the holy place, the holy of holies, to minister unto the Lord. He was to have that garment on. You know why? What was that, Trudy? In case he died. He had to enter like the veil, right? We all talk about the veil being torn. But it's like back then the veil wasn't torn. The veil was the thing he had to like enter through. Can you imagine? They made this garment in case I die. (laughs) Come on. In case I die entering this space, I have to wear a bunch of bells around my dress, around my robe. You know, it's like, and so he would wear this and he'd enter into that place and he would minister to the Lord. And the sound of the bells on that garment to the people outside of the Holy of Holies, to them it was the sound of good news. To them it was the sound of, oh, he's, God's allowing him to make the sacrifices on behalf of us, the sinners in this nation. And, he, and so he would enter in with the bells jingling. And I'm like, I, I would imagine he was probably like, oh yeah, I forgot I have one in my pocket. Yeah, woo! He's like, take a couple steps, make a sacrifice, jingle the bells. Take a couple steps, make a sacrifice, jingle the bells. And everybody's out there like, woo! He's making the atoning offerings and sacrifices for our sin before the Father, and the Father's pleased with them. And he's not dead. Yes! Come on. You guys see where I'm going with this? We, in the, the, the final aspect of the gospel is the, the priestly seat of Jesus Christ upon the throne of mercy in heaven, who is there as the, from the it says he's a, he becomes a part of the order of Melchizedek. He becomes a high priest under the Father and interceding on our behalf. He is now our Aaron. But it's no longer, there's no longer a need for a garment surrounded by bells. There's one bell. One bell that will ring for eternity, declaring you're good enough. If you believe in me, you're good. You're atoned. The payment and the price has been paid for your sins. You can enter into the presence of God without worrying about dying. And so that's what the bells are about this morning. The bells are about, I want each and every one of you to come forward and, and, and to take a moment to thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you pick up a bell, as you take, um, well, Kurt, come on up, buddy. I think I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane. It's that time. As you pick up a bell and as you take it home with you, I just ask you to place it somewhere of significance. They got the little threads. You can hang it on your door handle. How fun is that? That every time somebody comes and goes, you're reminded of what Jesus is doing for you right now, interceding on your behalf. I love that, right? It's a wonderful life. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets their wings. It's like, truth, every time a bell rings, your life just was saved. Every time a bell rings, your life just was saved. Um, so I'm going to pray. And then I want you guys, like I said, you can come on up and just take some time. And thank the Lord. he saved your life. (laughs) If you want to do a little kick, a little stretch, a little jumping around, a little jingling, go for it. (laughs) Nobody will judge you here. Well, they might, but that's on them, all right? It's not on you. (laughs) Oh, Father God, I thank you so, so much that it's not on us the weight of the sin, it's not on us. That you are building your church. (laughs) 
that you are revealing yourself daily, daily to thousands of people all over the world. That you are coming to people in dreams, that you are coming to people in visions, that you are coming to people in words of knowledge and prophecy, and you're declaring yourself set apart. And you're making us a set apart people before God Almighty. Aren't you making the children downstairs as set-apart children? You're building us into one family. One body. One house. One people of one kingdom. And you are the one. Everywhere the gospel will be told, this will be remembered. The story of Mary pouring out the alabaster oil at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus himself said, anywhere this gospel is told, this moment will be remembered. This moment of love and adoration and her willingness to lay it all down for the sake of the life of Jesus Christ and following him. So I don't want to leave that out because the gospel was just told. And that amount of love is what we all need to live with. So come forward as you feel led. If there's somebody that isn't here with you this morning that you're like, they need this, they need to know this, feel free to take an extra bell for that somebody. And if you're like, hey, there weren't enough, let me know and we'll order more. more. I got more. Don't worry.